Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. All right, we are beginning a new series today uh, called Seven Letters. We're looking at the seven letters of the book of Revelation. Uh, These are seven literal letters. They're written to seven literal historical churches in Asia Minor that existed during the uh, early days of the New Testament church. Now, to us as a church body, uh, I'm not just saying this for effect. This might be one of the most important studies we have ever engaged in as a church family. Uh, I say that because we find so much in these seven letters about God's attitude towards the local church. And we could just start with this, for instance. What we discover in these letters uh, is that the local church matters to God. Uh, God sees the local church and he takes it very seriously. Now, in reality, that alone should give us chills. Uh, The the creator of galaxies that we can't even begin to fathom sees us this morning, sees what happens in this church, in every church, but in this church, to this church, through this church, he sees it all, and it matters to God Almighty. That is amazing, church. But that's not the primary takeaway from these letters, because God doesn't just see the local church. He sees its inner workings. He sees its fruit. He sees its strengths. He sees its weaknesses. He sees what's, what's going well in his church, and he sees where his church is lacking. And in these letters, when God sees that a church is doing well, he recognizes that church, and he commends that church, and he, he tells the church, hey, you are doing awesome here. Keep it up. But when God looks at areas where his church is lacking, he doesn't simply say, well, at least the good makes up for the bad. You know, that's what we would tend to do. We kind of weigh the pros and the cons together, and we hope we come out on top. But what God actually says is, you have to get this figured out, and you have to get this fixed. Because what we're going to see in this series is God says to his church that there are certain areas where if you cannot right the ship, and if you cannot get this fixed, I would rather your church not exist. God says, in fact, in the long run, if you can't get certain areas fixed in your your church, in the long run, you won't exist. So as we go through these seven letters, uh, we're going to recognize three levels of application in these letters. Some would say that there are four uh, levels of application. Uh, I'm not convinced of the fourth, but I'll tell it to you anyway. Uh, The first is a historical level. All of these letters were first written to historical churches, specific churches that existed in history. Second, we're going to look at it at the church level, the level of our own church here, Cranberry Community Church. And and some of you might be visiting, and I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here, uh, and I hope you come back. But but most of you here this morning, this is your church home. So what we're going to do is we're going to step back, and we're going to examine our church Not judge our church, but examine our church. So we're celebrating seven years as a church family. We have the cake after, and we're going to celebrate by looking in the mirror at our church over these next seven weeks. Because sometimes it's those hard questions that are the most important questions we can ask. And if God speaks to these churches in these letters, and he says, if you're lacking in this area, then I would rather you not exist. How foolish would we be as a church to ignore those areas in our own church? 
But what we see in these letters is God takes the church seriously. Otherwise, he would just leave the problems and say, sweep it under the rug. But he takes it seriously. So what I'm asking you this morning is take our church seriously. We're not here this morning uh, for the sake of ritual or tradition. Uh, we're here because we believe in the mission of this church. And I'm asking you to take the mission of this church seriously, to, to, to consider the impact that God wants to have in this community through this body of believers. That God wants this body of believers to be a vessel by which he brings about his kingdom in Venango County. So there's a historical level to these letters. There's a church level. And then thirdly, we're going to look at them on a personal, individual level because there might be places where we read in these letters where we can say, okay, the church is doing well here, but I know that I'm struggling in this area. And we can recognize that this is so important to God that I get this fixed in my own life. Now, the fourth application you might hear is what you might call the prophetic level. And again, I'm not sold on this, but I'll explain it anyway. I know people are, and I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. But this is the idea that each of the seven book churches in the, the book of Revelation reflect a time period in the church's history. So perhaps the New Testament church, uh, the early church, looked like the letter uh, to the Ephesians that we're going to look at today. And then throughout biblical history, from one letter to the next reflects one uh, area or era of the church to the next. And the belief uh, primarily in this is that today we live in the era of the seventh church, uh, the seventh letter, which is the letter to Laodicea, which is known as the apostate church or the church that has been abandoned. Now, if you hold to this view, again, that's fine. I'm not going to fight you on it, but I'll tell you why I don't hold to that view. Uh, for one, I don't, or, or, or I think churches around the world today find themselves in any one of these seven letters. Uh, specifically, the one that we're talking about today, I think, is huge around the world in the church today, and it's the first letter. The second uh, argument I would make is I don't believe that we're living in the days of a universal, globally apostate church. If the book of Revelation were addressed solely to the United States of America and no one else, you could probably convince me of that. But on a global scale, the church is not apostate. The church isn't dead. The church is actually advancing. Uh, the church in Africa right now is exploding with growth. If you look at the church in South America, it's growing. The church in China is growing by leaps and bounds despite the threat of death, the threat of persecution against the church. In the Middle East, where they have the same threats against them, against them it's estimated that uh, more people have converted to Christianity in the last 20 years than in the 500 years preceding it. So I don't believe we're living in the days of a dead church. And I think of Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, there's two things that we should see in this passage of Scripture. First, who is building the church? Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. The second thing he says here, and I, I don't want you to miss this, is he says, the gates of hell will not overcome or overpower my church. Now let me ask you, when is the last time you saw an army using a gate as an offensive weapon? The chances are never because gates are not offensive weapons. Gates are defensive. So the statement that the gates of hell will not overcome the church actually means that the, the gates of hell cannot stop the church from advancing. 
So I, I want to get something straight right away. God did not design His church to lie dormant. And the mission of the church is not simply to stand your ground until you die, but to advance the kingdom of God. And your specific calling in your life, if you are a believer in Christ, is not to lie down spiritually in the fetal position and absorb blow after blow after blow until you die. But you have been chosen and equipped to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you go. Mark Batterson says it a way that I love. He says, too many of us live our lives as though the purpose is to, uh, is to arrive safely at death. But that's not how God has created us. God has created us actually to be a danger to the enemy. So with all of that said, I want to give just a little bit of background to the letters. Uh, the letters are written by the Apostle John. He writes them from the island of Patmos. Uh, John had been exiled to the island uh, because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. And now this is something we don't think of uh, often, but the letters, the seven letters, are not sent individually to each church. They're written as a part of what we call the book of Revelation. And the entire book was circulated to each church. That means that each of the seven churches saw all of the seven letters. If one church was commended, everyone knew. And if one church was rebuked, everyone knew. It was aired for all to see. And my first thought here is if God aired every church's problems for all to see, it would probably be pretty embarrassing. My second thought is that should tell you how concerned God is with a church maintaining its pride. I don't think he cares about that in the least. He cares about the kingdom moving forward. So I want to read together. Uh, we'll start in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. John says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. So uh, what are these seven lampstands? Well, we're going to see that in just a moment. And, and who's this, uh, this one who looks like the Son of Man? We'll see that in just a moment too. But I wanted to just show you very quickly a map of these churches uh, because uh, what, what it looks like is actually, some people believe this was almost an ancient postal route. It kind of makes a loop. So you see Patmos here at the bottom. And he sends it to the first church. The first church would take the book of Revelation. They would copy the entire book of Revelation and then send the original to the next church. The next church would have someone copy the entire book of Revelation and send it on to the next church. So that's uh, kind of what that looked like. On to verse 17. John writes, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I am dead, or I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands 
are the seven churches. So we talked about the, the lampstands. There's no mystery to what those lampstands represent. Those are the seven churches that we're about to read about in this series. But who are these angels? Now, there's some debate uh, over who these angels are because uh, some people believe these are literal angels. Others believe they're talking to the human leader of the church like a pastor, and I'll show you why there, there's a little debate here. Uh, the Greek word here uh, that's used is the word that we get angel from. It's, uh, it's pronounced angelos, uh, and it means a messenger from God, an angel, or one who was sent. But it doesn't necessarily always refer to a supernatural angelic being. And because of that, like I said, some people believe that the angel of the church is, is the pastor of the church or the leader of the church. Now, this view has a couple of things in its favor. Uh, again, first of all, there are occasions where this word is used, and it's clearly not referencing an angelic being. So, for instance, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is speaking about John the Baptist. And he says of John the Baptist in uh, Matthew eleven nine, he says, uh, What did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is, is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way for you. That word there is the word we get angel from. So in referring to John the Baptist, he calls him an angel because it's a word that also means messenger. So those who believe that the angels of the churches are referring to a pastor would point to this, and they would point to one more thing, uh, and that is, why is John writing a letter to an angel, and how does one deliver a letter to an angel? Now, on the other hand of this argument, many believe this is a literal, supernatural, angelic being, and that perhaps every church has an angel assigned to it. Uh, advocates to this belief would say that the book of Revelation uses the word for angel 72 times, and almost every time it's pretty clearly referring to a supernatural, angelic being. So why would John use the same word here with a different meaning than he does in the, the rest of Revelation? So my response, my answer is, I don't really know. All we know is the letters were written either to the spiritual leader of the church, an angel, or the physical leader of the church, such as a pastor. It was written to the authority of the church. And I'll let you wrestle with that if you desire. It's not really relevant to the messages within the letters, and that's more important to our focus in this series. So we're going to dive right into the first letter in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. John writes, and Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I don't want you to miss this, because who holds the seven stars in their hands? Well, that's Jesus. What are the seven lampstands? Well, those are the churches. So he says, this is the message to those, but I don't want you to miss, Jesus is walking around among the churches. How awesome is that imagery of Jesus walking around among the local church? He says in verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. Now I can imagine as a church leader uh, reading this letter, it sounds really good at first. Uh, God commends them for their good deeds and for their hard work. He commends them for their perseverance. I mean, this is good stuff. He, he, he commends them for resisting evil. He commends them for uh, 
critically examining the claims of false apostles. He commends them for enduring hardships without growing weary. And later on, he commends them because they hate the evil deeds of a group called the Nicolaitans. Uh, not the people, but their practices. So, so far, this is really good, right? There's a lot of dopamine going to the brain right now. This is really good stuff. They're doing very well. But then God says, yet I hold this against you. And I think in that moment, this high that they were on probably came crashing down. And their heads that had been inflating to this point were probably deflated in an instant. And it reminds me of uh, years ago, I wanted to share a story with you. Uh, This lady approached me right after service ended. She made a beeline for me. Now, this had been a powerful service. The presence of God was undeniable. Worship was awesome. Uh, The message was just well-received. And this lady, um, she, she shot straight towards me. Clearly, she had been touched. And she said, oh, pastor. She said, that was church. She said, God is so good, and and she just began encouraging me, and I'm feeling pretty good at this moment. I'm glad she was touched, and she says, God has just been speaking to me so much about our church lately, and laid it on my heart that I really need to stop wishing this church were like my old church, and just make the best of what we have here. (laughs) I'm not sure what you say to this. But I'm a pastor, so I do what pastors do. I bite my tongue and I say, well, God bless you. <laughs> if you ever hear me reply to something you say with, well, God bless you. It's uh, not what I mean. <laughs> but it's like build you up and build you up and build you up. And then in a moment, you're back down to earth. God has been encouraging and edifying the church at Ephesus. And I bet they were feeling good, uh, uh, pretty good. And then they get four. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Remember, the lampstand is the church itself. God says, I'm removing it if you you don't get back to this place of your first love. He goes on to say, but this you have in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, there are words, uh, there's a message in this word to be received from anyone who will open their ears and their heart to it. He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is prepared to shut it down because of their lack of love. He is prepared to shut the good works down. He is prepared to shut the good doctrine down because they no longer have the love that they had at first. You know that you can get really good at doing church and you can get really good at doing good things and good deeds. You can memorize scripture until your brain bleeds, but if it's not driven by the fact that first of all, you love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, you have missed it. We cannot confuse activity for affection. 
work for God must be motivated by love for God or it will not last. It goes back to the great commandment where they came to Jesus and they said, tell us what is the most important commandment, the most important thing that we can do in this life. And Jesus replied in Mark 12, 30, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. I would like to reframe the way that we think of this. I don't want you to think of this as the most important thing that we can do. I want you to see this as the most important thing that we must do. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Do you know what's so interesting about this passage is if you go back to the teachings of Jesus Christ, he said, I want you to have a faith that can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will be moved. And then to the, to the rich young ruler, he said, I want you to sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. But here Paul says, you can do those things. You can obey the very teachings of Jesus Christ. And you can do it without love and completely miss the point. Uh, I think of Luke chapter 10 where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and just absorbing him. Everything that she can take from him, she is absorbing it and loving it. And Martha, uh, she just wants to serve and to do and to do and to do. And she becomes frustrated because Mary is just sitting at his feet. So she complains, Jesus, will you make her get up and serve with me? And Jesus says, there's only one thing that's necessary. One thing that is absolutely necessary and she has chosen it and it won't be taken away. Renee, if you want to try to come, you can. <laughs> In Matthew 24, I want to wrap it up with this passage. Jesus was speaking of signs that we could look for and know that we are living in the end of the days, the end of age. And two of those signs that he gives, we find in verse 11 and verse 12. First in verse 11, Jesus says, In that day, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now let's take this back to the church at Ephesus. Remember, one of the things that he commends the church for is, he says, you have tested the apostles who are false and you found them to be false. In other words, they didn't fall into this trap. Those who had the false teachings, they did so well to stay out of it. But what about verse 12? Then Jesus said, uh, this will always also take place. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And this is where Ephesus faltered. They were committed to good works. And they were committed to good doctrine. But over time, they began to ne neglect love. And a church can do many things well. But if we don't love God well, and if we don't love people well, then we are lacking in a serious way that can't be swept under the, uh, the rug. And if you're in this place and you say, I do well in a lot of areas, maybe I'm good with doctrine, maybe I'm good with serving, 
But if your love for God is failing, don't walk out of it, out of here, and just let it go. This is too crucial in the eyes of God. This is the one thing that is necessary is that you love God with every fiber, fiber, fiber of your being. Now, love must be cultivated. It goes back to what I say all the time. What you feed will grow and what you starve will die. So in your relationship with God, is your cultivation of love for God, are you starving that or are you feeding it? Because I can tell you, if you only feed it on Sunday mornings for half an hour, you're not feeding it enough. Love must be cultivated, it must be fed, it must be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. When Emily and I were dating and she was wooing me, it wasn't by accident. <laughs> so what does that look like? Read the Word of God, first of all. Pray, not just in a way where you're, you have a laundry list of what you want. Jay already has his Christmas list, and it's like four pages long. That's what our prayers look like sometimes. God, I want this, 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 and this. Protect this person, this person, this person. In Jesus' name, amen, turn the lights off. That's not biblical prayer. Prayer is relational, and it's conversational, and that is how we grow in love for someone. We talk to them. If you're able in your season of life, have a quiet time. And then last of all, worship. There's something powerful about singing to God songs of love. Can you go into I love you, Lord? I don't know what you're playing, but this will be better. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I had too much coffee. Um, can you guys stand with me this morning? Worship is an incredible opportunity to cultivate your love for God. So as of right now, church, there is no one in this room but you and the one who walks around the seven lampstands. Jesus Christ in this room with you. Will you take some time to cultivate your love for God? Lord Jesus, we invite you in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. And I pray that you would meet us here in a powerful way, Lord. I, would pr I pray that we would recognize that we love you this morning because you first loved us. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.